Chapter Eight of the Ranchman by Charles Alden Seltzer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Concerning Squint, Marion Harlan had responded eagerly to Carrington's fabrication regarding the rumor of Lawrence Harlan's presence in Dawes. Carrington's reference to her father's sojourn in town had been vague. He merely told her that a rumor had reached him a man's word without details, and she had accepted it at its face value. She was impatient to run the rumor down, to personally satisfy herself, and she believed Carrington. But she spent a fruitless week interrogating people in Dawes. She had gone to the courthouse, there to pass long hours searching the records, and had found nothing. Then, systematically, she had gone from store to store, making small purchases and quizzing everyone she came in contact with. No one had known a man named Harlan. It seemed that not one person in Dawes had ever heard of him. Parsons had returned to town in the buckboard shortly after noon on the day of their arrival at the new house, and she had not seen him again until the following morning. Then he had told her that Carrington had gone away. He did not know where. Carrington would not return for a week or two, he inferred. Parsons had bought some horses. A little bay, short-coupled but wiry, belonged to her, Parsons said. It was a present from Carrington. She hesitated to accept the horse, but the little animal won her regard by his affectionate mannerisms, and at the end of a day of doubt and indecision she accepted him. She had ridden horses in Westwood, bareback when no one had been looking, and with a side-saddle at other times. But she discovered no side-saddle in Dawes. However, she did encounter no difficulty in unearthing a riding habit with a divided skirt, and though she got into that with a pulse of trepidation and embarrassment, she soon discovered it to be most comfortable and convenient. And Dawes did not stare at her because she rode straddle. At first she was fearful, and watched Dawes's citizens furtively. But when she saw that she attracted no attention other than would be attracted by any good-looking woman in a more conventional attire, she felt more at ease. But she could not help thinking about the sanctimonious inhabitants of Westwood. Would they not have declared their kindly predictions vindicated had they been permitted to see her? She could almost hear the chorus of, I told you so's. They rang in her ears over a distance of many hundreds of miles. But the spirit of the young, unfettered country had got into her soul, and she went her way unmindful of Westwood's opinions. For three days she continued to search for tidings of her father, eager and hopeful, and then for the remainder of the week she did her searching mechanically, doggedly, with presentiment of failure to harass her. And then one morning, when she was standing beside her horse near the stable door, ready to mount and fully determined to pursue the Carrington rumor to the end, the word she sought was brought to her. She saw a horseman coming toward her from the direction of Dawes. He was not Parsons, for the rider was short and broad, and besides, Parsons was spending most of his time in Dawes. The girl watched the rider, assured as he came nearer that he was a stranger, 
and when he turned his horse toward her and she saw he was a stranger, she leaned close and whispered to her own animal, "'Oh, Billy, what if it should be?' An instant later she was watching the stranger dismount within a few feet of where she was standing. He was short and stocky and undeniably Irish. He was far past middle age, as his gray hair and seamed wrinkles of his face indicated, but there was the light of a youthful spirit and good nature in his eyes that squinted at the girl with a quizzical interest. With the bridle rein in the crook of his elbow and his hat in his hand, he bowed elaborately to the girl. "'Would ye be Miss Harlan, ma'am?' he asked. "'Yes,' she breathed, her face alight with eagerness. For now, since the man had spoken her name, the presentiment of news grew stronger. The man's face flashed into a wide, delighted grin, and he reached out a hand into which she placed one of hers, hardly knowing that she did it. "'My name's Ben Malarkey, ma'am. I've got a little shack down on the rabbit ear, which is a crick, for all the names some local ignoramus gave it. You could see the shack from here, ma'am, if you look sharp.' He pointed out a spot to her, a wooded section, far out in the big level country southward, beside the river. And she saw the roof of a building near the edge of the timber. "'That's me shack,' offered Malarkey. "'Me, old woman, and meself owns her, and a quarter section, all proved. We call it seven miles from the shack to Dawes. That'll make it about three from here.' "'Yes, yes,' said the girl eagerly. He grinned at her. Coming into town this morning for some knickknacks for the old woman, I heard from Coleman, who keeps a store, that there's a fine-looking girl named Harlan searching the country for news of her father, Larry Harlan. I knowed him, ma'am. You did? Oh, how wonderful! She stood erect, breathing fast, her eyes glowing with mingled joy and impatience. She had not caught the significance of Malarkey's picturesque past tense. Knowed but when he repeated it with just a slight emphasis. I knowed him, ma'am. She drew a quick, full breath, and her face whitened. You knew him, she said slowly. Does that mean? Malarkey scratched his head and looked downward, not meeting her eyes. Squint Taylor would tell you the story, ma'am, he said. You see, ma'am, he worked for Squint, and Squint was with him when it happened. He's dead, then? She stood rigid, tense, searching Malarkey's face with wide, dreading eyes. And when she saw his gaze shift under hers, she drew a deep sigh and leaned against Billy, covering her face with her hands. Malarkey did not attempt to disturb her. He stood, looking glumly at her, reproaching himself for his awkwardness in breaking the news to her. It was some minutes before she faced him again, and then she was pale and composed, except for the haunting sadness that had come into her eyes. "'Thank you,' she said. "'Can you tell me where I can find Mr. Taylor? Squint, you called him. Is that the Taylor who was elected mayor last week?' "'The same, ma'am.' He turned and pointed southward into the big level country that she admired so much. "'Do you see that big timber grove way off there, where the crick doubles to the north, with that big green patch beyond? She nodded. That's Taylor's ranch, the Arrow. You'll find him there. He's a mighty fine man, ma'am. Larry Harlan would tell you that 
if he was here. Taylor was the best friend that Larry Harlan ever had, out here. He looked at her pityingly. I'm sorry, ma'am, to be the bearer of ill news, but when I heard you was in town looking for your father, I couldn't help coming to see you. She asked some questions about her father, which Malarkey answered, though he could tell her nothing that would acquaint her with the details of her father's life between the time he had left Westwood and the day of his appearance in this section of the world. "'Maybe Taylor will know, ma'am,' he repeated again and again, and then, when she thanked him once more and mounted her horse, he said, "'You'll be going to see Squint right away, ma'am, I suppose. You can ease your horse right down the slope here and strike the level. You'll find a trail right down there. You'll follow it along the creek, and it'll take you into the Arrow Ranch House.' It'll take you past me own shack, too, and if you'll stop in, tell the old woman who you are, she'll be tickled to give you a snack and a cup of tea. She liked Larry herself. The girl watched Malarkey ride away. He turned in the saddle at intervals to grin at her. Then, when Malarkey had gone, she leaned against Billy and stood for a long time, her shoulders quivering. At last, though, she mounted the little animal and sent him down the slope. She found the trail about which Malarkey had spoken, and rode it steadily, though she saw little of the wild virgin country through which she passed, because her brimming eyes blurred it all. She came at last to Malarkey's shack, and a stout motherly woman, with an ample bosom and a kindly face, welcomed her. "'So you're Larry Harlan's daughter,' said Mrs. Malarkey, when her insistence had brought the girl inside the cabin. You poor darling, and Ben told you, the blundering idiot. He'll have a piece of my mind when he comes back. And you're stopping at the old Huggins house, eh? Huh? She looked sharply at the girl, and the latter's face reddened. Whereat Mrs. Malarkey patted her shoulder and murmured, It ain't your fault that there's indecent women in the world, and no taint of them will ever reach you. But the fools in this world is always wagging their tongues, associating what happened with what they think will happen. And maybe they'll wonder about you. It's your uncle that's there with you, you say. Well, then, don't you worry. You run right along to see Squint Taylor now and find out what he knows about your father. Taylor's a mighty fine man, darling. And so Marion went on her way again, grateful for Mrs. Malarkey's kindness but depressed over the knowledge that the atmosphere of suspicion which had enveloped her in Westwood had followed her into this new country which, she had hoped, would have been more friendly. She came in sight of the Arrow Ranch House presently and gazed at it admiringly. It was a big building of adobe brick with a wide porch or gallery entirely surrounding it. It was in the center of a big space, with timber flanking it on three sides, and at the north was a green stretch of level that reached the sloping banks of a river. There were several smaller buildings, a big, fenced enclosure, the corrals, she supposed, a pasture, and a garden. Everything was in perfect order, and had it not been for the aroma of sage that assailed her nostrils, the awe-inspiring bigness of it all, the sight of thousands of cattle, which she could see through the trees beyond the clearing, 
she could have likened the place to a big eastern farmhouse of the better class, isolated and prosperous. She dismounted from her horse at the corner of the house, near a door that opened upon the wide porch, and stood, pale and hesitant, looking at the door which was closed. And as she stared at the door, it swung inward, and Quinton Taylor appeared in the opening. End of chapter 8